0: So today we are, as Debs has said, commencing a short series that will run through August uh, on four chapters in the short book of Ruth in the Old Testament. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and uh, is useful for helping us to grow in both our knowledge and our love of God. And we're looking at chapter one, which was read for us. Um, So if you've got that, I'd encourage you to look at it on your paper Bible or on your phone. I'd really welcome you to do that. You know, when we come to study the Bible, it's always good to start with looking at the context in which the passage is written, okay? Um, Because that really helps us understand the the sort of um, uh, literature it is and how God is speaking to us. And in chapter 1, we're told that this account was written in the era of the judges. Now, the timescale for that was somewhere between 1350 and 1050 BC, so before Christ, go back a thousand years, that's the sort of time in history that this story took place. And the era of the judges, now for you and I, that doesn't maybe necessarily mean anything. Um, It doesn't conjure up a clear idea of what was going on. But imagine if I said to you, it was in the era of COVID. Instantly, things come into your mind, down, vaccinations whatever things would come into your mind so the era of the judges would mean a lot to the people at that time what about um, World War two I mean for those of you who can remember I can't but for those that can you know it conjures up things doesn't it, you, in your mind or how about brexit or the 1960s or you know these sort of eras conjure up something and for the people reading this it would conjure up something in the time of the judges. So in the history of Israel, the era of the judges pointed to a time of spiritual and moral decline for the nation of Israel, okay? They did what was right in their own eyes. They wandered away from loving and serving Yahweh, God, rebelling against God. God would discipline them, send them a judge to guide them and lead them. They would repent, come back to God, And then the whole cycle would repeat itself. Time and again, if you look through the book of Judges in the Bible, which is before Ruth, um, you will see how often God intervened by sending someone. So in Judges 2, the Israelite did evil in the God's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God. They served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. But when the people cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a rescuer. A few verses later, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel. But when the people cried out to the Lord for help, gosh, you know, Talk about the faithfulness of God. I mean, I'd have given up long ago. I mean, if you flip on to um, Judges 10, again, more and more of this time, people, different judges being sent, they do what's wrong. We read about um, Deborah was one of the judges, and, you know, on and on it goes with this rebellious nation who were doing their own thing. So this book is set in a historical context, and at that time, as we read in Ruth 1, there was a time of famine in the land. Now, um, again, if you speak to people in Ireland, the potato famine is a huge thing in the psyche of the nation. It was in the 1870s and a long, long time ago. But people don't easily forget these major times in the the history of, of nations, and God had allowed a famine to come on the land of Judah. So Elimelech and his family um, were stuck, what do we do, where where do we go, what can we do? They were economic migrants and they decided to leave their home country, oh I'm supposed to be clicking on, where am I, sorry, let's just do a bit of clicking here, oh no, I'm going, that's the ear of the judges. So. Um, and here's a uh, Ruth's journey. Um, it's the journey that actually Elimelech took um, with his family um, as economic migrants. They decided to leave and to seek work. Um, and you can see the huge journey they did. Now remember they're not getting in there you know, um, you know Toyota and driving around. They probably did this journey on foot. Um, They travel all the way around the Dead Sea, and they came down to an area called Moab. Um, You know, some of us are very quick to judge people who come perhaps to our own country or who move across the world in search of work or welfare. But like Elimelech, put yourself in his situation. He's got a young family. There is no food. There is no work. He can't earn. What, What do you do? Would you not set out on a journey? I think I kind of probably would try and think up something. And Elimelech's issue was that I need to get my family around to a place where we have a better opportunity in life. Some, of, As I say, some of us that haven't suffered hardship um, find that might dif- difficult and hard to be compassionate to people in need. So the family trudged in front. And historically, these folk in Moab, so much further around here, They were descendants of Lot. Now, for some of us, you'll remember um, uh, Abraham and Lot traveled together, and then they separated, and they went their separate ways. And Lot, his Lot, came down to this end, and they wandered away from the worship of the true God. And they started worshipping idols and false gods. And the most notably, there was a, a, name and a god called Chemosh that they worshipped. And they offered sacrifices to this, to this god. And, and so in that sense, they were pagans. They'd wandered away, far away from the religion of the Israelites. And yet, Elimelech had made the decision to take his family there because they were desperate for food. So we have this family in a foreign land. And then the family encounters, not three weddings and a funeral, but two weddings of their two boys to local girls, and then three funerals. The father and the two sons die. So we're left with three women. We have Naomi, the immigrant mother, who'd done the journey, and two Moabite younger women, Ruth and Orpah. Who married the sons? So that's the backdrop. And I want us now to zoom in really on two key characters in this book, as we'll see in the next few weeks. This was Naomi and Ruth. And in this chapter, we're introduced to um, these two women. And I'm going to suggest that they are a believer who doubted and a pagan who believed. So let's consider Naomi, the Jewish mother. She would transitioned to live in this new land. Sons had married locally, uh, but she'd held on to her faith in God, in the God of Israel. Naomi held on to her understanding that the Lord had provided. If you look at verse 6 in chapter 1 there, um, she had seen God's provision for her in Moab, and then later, she heard that the God was, um, had blessed the land of Judah, and she wanted to return there. It's not uncommon, is it? I mean, who wouldn't want to go back to their homeland and their home country? She saw God as being in control of what was happening. Her whole worldview was of this God who was in control of what was happening. Now, in this culture, the daughters-in-law um, would go and live with the husband's family. Who's glad you don't have to do that in our culture? <laughs> I am raising my hand. Um, so, um, th- But the, the, the daughters would go, the, the young women would go and live with their husband's family, and, as these two women had. And even when they'd lost their husbands, they died. They still remained living with their mother-in-law. And in this culture, again, the norm would have been that another brother in the family would marry the widowed sister-in-law, who's glad you don't have to marry your brother-in-law. me, me, me. And, uh, and, and should the need arise, this was known as a leverate marriage. If you read Jud let's get the word right. Deuteronomy 25, it tells you all about this. It was part of a cultural norm. And so, although for us the conversation between Naomi and these girls seems a little bit odd because that's not sort of British, quite British culture here, um, in many cultures, actually, this still would be the expectation that the brother would provide for the widow and carry on the family name. It it was quite This was the norm. This was natural to happen. Naomi was concerned for these two young women and cared, and and she actually wanted to release them from their obligation because they were obligated to do this. There wasn't a choice. She wanted to release them, and she was being really thoughtful for them. But Naomi was also having a crisis of faith. She was a believer who I think was doubting, Let us look at why, because I think that some of us can fall into the same category sometimes. You see, having been brought up to rely on God and seeing his hand at work, she was also really conflicted in herself. So she says in verse 13, when urging them to stay back in Moab, it is more bitter for me than for you. Remember, they'd lost their husbands too. But she's saying it's more bitter for me because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So this God who she trusted, she's now thinking, wait a minute, this God has turned against me. What's Naomi doing here? I believe she's interpreting the current circumstances through a lens of God turning away from her. In verse 20 she also tells the folks when she gets back to judah call me mara it means bitter because the lord has made my life very bitter she was kind of blaming god she's saying the lord has brought misfortune onto me so here was a god-fearing woman and yet when circumstances become challenging as indeed they really had let's not minimize this famine displacement bereavement three times we can sympathize I'm sure she kind of wobbles she doubts God she blames God isn't this a very human reaction to suffering let's unpack something of what she and I'm sure we feel at times okay so the first thing she might have that's called me Mara I'm not very good at doing this, am I? I need a clicker. Um, the first thing she might think is, I don't deserve this. Or, it's not fair. God's not being fair to me. Maybe we think, you know, well, do you know, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church regularly. I try and do what's nice and right by my neighbor. I'm okay, Jack. And we simply interpret this as being God meeting out some sort of uh, penalty to us um, that we think we don't deserve, we're better than this, or we blame God. I don't deserve this. How about God must be punishing me? Some of us will lapse into that. Gosh, do you know what? I, I did that thing once. I spoke badly to Trudy one time and, you know, this is God's punishment to me for that. We think, we interpret the circumstances of what's happening to God must be punishing me. I'm guilty of sinning against God and he is a punitive God. How often do we interpret bad things that happen to good people as to being doing something wrong? Or how about God cannot be, insert the word that fits your thinking, true, uh, he can't be trusted, he can't be powerful, otherwise he'd do something about it. He can't be loving, otherwise he wouldn't be doing this to me. We cast aspersions on God's character and nature and his abilities because we don't know how to interpret the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We're hurting and we, we just we just doubt God. We doubt who He is. Or perhaps we just think, this is blooming tough. <laughs> this is really, really tough what I'm going through. But I am not immune from sickness. I'm not immune from bereavement. I'm not immune from loss because. Uh, I am part of the human race, and I live in a broken and a hurting world at this point in time. Maybe that's a more mature or a bigger picture response to it, to understand in the context of history, and that God doesn't instantly just whip us up out of the situation that we're in. I wonder which one we might go to in our minds when bad things happen to good people. I'm sure we all go to some of those sometimes. When things don't go the way we expect or hope or plan for. Was Naomi right in thinking that God had made her life very bitter? Well, her life was indeed bitter. She had experienced huge loss. But had God made it that way? Well, he certainly had allowed it, hadn't he? He had not prevented her husband or her sons from dying or had provided food before she ever had to leave Judah. So a believer she was, she even saw that God was providing now for Judah, but she was tempted to doubt God, to feel bitter towards God. I wonder if you're in that place today. Maybe you are railing against God for what he has allowed, for not whipping you out of those difficult situations that you're facing as we go through the book oh these books over these four next four weeks you will see God unfolding this story his bigger picture the lessons he was teaching his provision so guys hang in because we'll see a bigger picture of God at work here if you're tempted to despair to give up on God to blame God can I just suggest one or two things that might encourage you Um, firstly be honest with God don't pretend you're not feeling bitter or angry or hurt or twisted up inside just be honest David there was countless psalms aren't there where David rails against God he's angry God can listen God can take it shoulders are big enough to cope with our complaint our laments can I encourage you to be honest with God. And find people to journey with you through the challenging times. Naomi had Ruth, and she went back to her own people as well. She found believers who held on to God for her, for her at times. We all need that sometimes. People that will hold on to God for us because our fingers are getting tired clinging on. She went back to her own people. She found believers who held on to God. And that's why God's given us one another, folks. You may not like everybody in this room, but God has given us to one another to help us. When the times get tough, when the times get challenging, to stand with us, to be with us. Each week after this service, you can ask for prayer, and there are people who will happily spend time praying with you, railing against God with you if needs be, but standing with you and helping hold you, believing that God is bigger than your current personal situations or we have a pastoral team that can support you always available well maybe not 24 hours but you know um, ready willing to help and support you find people who can journey with you through the dark times or perhaps you've got a small group Deb's alluded to that with Laura I hope it's not a dark time going to Spain I hope that's really great but you know people journey with you we'll be with you praying Keep looking for signs of God's presence. Sorry. Rest assured he knows about it, okay? Um, God knows about the situation that you're in. It's not escaped his notice. You might think, oh, God can't see or understand this. Otherwise, he'd be doing something about it. God knows about your situation. There's a lovely little book and it's called His Thoughts Said, that's like us speaking, and His Father Said and what God might respond. It's written by Amy Carmichael, who was a lovely old missionary to India. Many years ago, somewhere called the Donovan Fellowship. And there's just little passages here. This book is so old, it's at Fe McLaughlin, October 76. Okay? So that's quite a while ago. Um, but this poor little book has been with me on my journey. And in this book, the person, me, her, whoever, said, But what of tomorrow? And the father said, Don't fear. No evil shall be sent to meet thee. But the son knew that trouble might be sent to meet him. And his father said, listen to these lovely words. Before the trouble can meet thee, it's old, it must pass through the brightness of my encompassing presence. And passing through that brightness, it loseth its darkness. Isn't that a beautiful thought? that we have an encompassing presence of God around us, and he knows about it, and the darkness and the dark times and the things we experience, you know, God knows. They pass through his encompassing presence, and it hath no more any power for evil. As also as thou knowest well, I will be with thee in trouble." It's a lovely, lovely little picture that God knows about it. And nothing can touch us, but it goes through the light of his presence. Keep looking for signs of God's presence, as Naomi did. Naomi said, the Lord has come to the aid of his people back in Judah. Okay, So he keep, she keeps looking for these signs of God, even though she's wobbling and doubting and cross and thinks God's made a bitter God never abandons us. Sure, we feel abandoned because he doesn't instantly deliver us or rescue us from hardships and difficulties, from losses and bereavements. We also have to walk through the pain of human existence, just like Jesus did when he came to share our lives here on earth. So hang on, friends. Look for the glimmers of light in the darkness. There's a lovely Um, verse that somebody sent to me some years ago when I was going through a horribly dark time and it's Isaiah 45 and verse 3 and it says I will give you the treasures of darkness riches stored in secret places so that carries on so that you may know that I am the Lord the God of Israel who summons you by name that's a lovely picture isn't it? it none of us want the darkness but God is saying there are treasures in those darkness, and I know you by name. Now, God knew Naomi's name. It wasn't beyond him, and he knows your name this morning. If you just feel, I'm in the dark, I'm hating where I am, I hate this situation, I can't cope, whatever it is, and he promises that through all the dark times, he will display rich treasures if we look for them. Somehow, Um, We can only know some of these through the most sorrowful times. So be honest, find people to walk with, remember he knows about it, and keep looking for signs of God's presence. Don't give up. So we have this older woman, a believer who doubted, but let's turn to her companion as we finish up this morning. You see, one daughter-in-law took the chance to stay behind, to sever her ties with Naomi. She was released by Naomi. But in Ruth, we see... A pagan who believed. Maybe you can't see that that clearly on the right. Ruth had obviously witnessed her father and mother-in-law over the years of living in Moab. Who knew if Ruth's husband, had the son, had wavered in his beliefs in living in Moab? We don't know that. But through Naomi's bereavement and through her care, Ruth came to understand and made the choice that Naomi's God was going to be her God. Those lovely verses that we read there. This was a turning point for Ruth. It was a moment of decision. Those are beautiful verses. Where you go, I will go. Don't ask me to leave you. Your God will be my God. She herself, Naomi herself, I'm sorry, Ruth herself was a widow. She'd lost her husband. She'd witnessed the tragedy of Naomi. She knew that following God was never promised to be a bed of roses. You know, sometimes our faith is shaken, friends, because I have to say we've been sold a false gospel. We've somehow come to think that God owes us, really, or, you know, get Jesus and all your life's going to be hunky-dory. Well, friends, it isn't. (laughs) We experience the same traumas, difficulties, challenges as people around us live, Of course, the promises of God are for blessing for his people, are for salvation. But as we've seen from Naomi, going God's way was not always a bed of roses. And making a decision to follow God is not an easy choice. It's the way of the cross, as we saw in Jesus. He calls us to die to our old selves, our old self-serving ways, and to follow him. It's the way of sacrifice, Not only was Ruth sacrificing her old lifestyle in her homeland, she was making a decision to serve her mother-in-law and in doing so to serve God too. So Ruth was making an informed choice, stepping out from her old life, her old beliefs, a wayward culture, a pagan culture, which did not put God at the center. And she declared to Naomi that God would be Ruth's own God too. I'm going to follow your God You know, Ruth moved on from, I'll just hang around with you guys because you're quite nice. She'd hung around with Naomi for at least 10 years, because it was 10 years later her husband had died. So she'd been hanging out with Naomi quite a long time. Still came a point where she said, your God will be my God. I am stepping into what God's purposes are for my life as well. Perhaps there's some of us who've been straddling an old way of life. We've been hanging out with believers, but not stepping out from your old kind of way of God-forsaking way of life. And maybe we're not moving to a new land that these were, but today is or can be a turning point for us, a moment of decision when we say to God, to ourselves and to to others around us, I am going to go God's way. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Maybe you've seen something of the life of Christ, the reality of who God is in the lives of people around about you. Maybe like a Na- there's been a Naomi type of person for you. Maybe somebody who's not had the easiest of times, but you've seen them walk with God. You've seen their real faith in difficult circumstances. Do you think Ruth had all the theological answers worked out at the time she took this step forward of faith? No. Do you think she knew the Bible stories? highly unlikely. She'd been brought up in a pagan culture. Do you think she all, all she knew, she knew what lay ahead of her and knew she was making a good choice in following Naomi? Of course not. But had she seen enough? I'm sure she had. That's why she could step forward, committing herself to follow, to find out more about this God who reveals himself even through life's most challenging times, not always in the ways or at the time we expect. All hope for, but promising those treasures, holding out the promise of a life in all its fullness. There's a lovely picture in Zechariah um, of um, where people come and take hold of the hem of a Jew's garment. It's a lovely picture, and says, "Let us go with you, because we've heard that God is with you." Isn't that a lovely picture? Ruth was taking hold of Naomi's hem, saying, I've seen that God is with you, and I want to be there too. She wanted to be there too. Maybe this morning, you feel like you're a Naomi. Maybe today, all that you bring, all that you can bring here this morning is your own brokenness, a bitter heart, a sad heart, a broken heart then come. This is the place to come. Jesus said, um, come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come today, lay them down. Lay down that bitterness, the brokenness, the aloneness. He promises treasures in the darkness, rest for the weary, but not necessarily miraculously changed circumstances when you go home at lunchtime. Or maybe you're a Ruth. You don't know a lot, but you want to trust. You're wanting to follow. You're wanting to go where God leads you. And today, he invites you to come and to follow. Tell someone, tell somebody if you're taking that step of saying, God, I want to go. Your God is going to be my God. I'm going there. You will never regret, friends, wholly giving yourself to God. You will never regret it. He never promises the whole journey will be easy but he does promise you his presence you will never be alone let's pray god thank you that you are a god who was faithful to naomi and to ruth thank you for what we learn from your word Father, we pray that we will be like those women who say, I will go with you. I want you to be my God. I want to stay faithful to you even when it feels dark. I want to find treasures in the darkness. So help us, God, this week in all that we face to hold on to you. As you hold on to us, Father God, we thank you for one another, that we can stand with one another, even in the darkest times. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.